Welcome to our YouTube channel. As you take time to listen to God's word today with us, we believe that your faith will be strengthened up each day and we hope that this sermon will be a blessing to you as well as your family. We are in the series for God so loved and we are literally looking at seven great realities from John 3:16. Amen. So if you know if you're trying to guess what this sermon is about, you already know it, John 3.16, right? Everybody knows John 3.16 by heart, right? Can we all um, say it out loud? Yeah, ready, one, two, three, go. God so that he gave that whoever eternal life. This is one of the most memorized, familiar verses, but at the same time, one of the most um, underestimated, um, less understood verse in the Bible. Because this verse literally changed the trajectory of, of mankind. And, and when John wrote this, he wrote it from a sense of deep understanding of what God has done. When he wrote John 3.16, he understood that Christmas is not a tradition. Christmas is a breakthrough. Christmas is a breakthrough. Christmas is not just a celebration. Christmas is a time of self-consecration and allowing God to come into our hearts knowing that He can take full place in our life. And John 3.16 was actually demonstrated to us in the Old Testament. And we're going to jump right into it a little bit, but I want to set you up for today because we are looking at seven words from this verse alone. Uh, the seven words are, we are looking at God, God so loved the world, who God is, we saw that last week, and what loved the world, which world did he love? The broken world, the sinful world, the perishing world, uh, the, the, the most you know, disgusted of all, um, pitiful of all, we uh, were supposed to be on God's side, but because of sin, we became his enemies, but yet, he loved us. So reality number one, God is all powerful, all grateful, but yet we can have a personal relationship with him. That's the God. World is so messed up, yet he loved it. And the third reality from this verse is he gave. The fourth reality is we are going to look at the sun. The fifth one is what does it mean to believe in the sun? The sixth one is, if we don't believe, what would perishing look like? It's not just about hell. You can perish before you get to hell. When you live out of the presence of God, we are perishing. I'm already preaching that sermon. Stay on this sermon, Sam. All right. And the last one would be life. What does it mean to have eternal life? So today, we are looking at he gave. That's the sermon title. If you're writing this down, you can write this title. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That is the truth. That is deeper truth about he gave. It takes a big heart to give. It takes a mind that is conditioned through love to even think about an option of giving. 
Because when we looked at what kind of world that he loved last week, we looked at the theology of the world and what kind of world that God actually chose to love, that world is a selfish world. Every root cause of sin is selfishness. A selfless God came to a selfish world. It's all about me, mine, and mine alone. In a self-centered, selfish world, giving is not a word that is often used. Because there is another word that is always used and always thought of in people's mind is, what can I get out of this? You give them anything, you talk about anything, new project, get great things, but the, the mind all, always goes to, what can I get out of this? A job, what can I get out of this? Friendships, relationships, what can I get out of this? Church, what can I get out of church? We, we need to understand that church is a gathering of God's people coming together celebrating what God has already given. And this is the gathering where we give Him praise, not just get something from Him. We give Him the adoration. We give Him thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. Step in with thanksgiving. You cannot just enter with self-centeredness. Today we live in a McDonald's society, right? We live in a KFC world where everything has to be quick, instant, and I don't want to get out of my car. You understand what I'm saying? It's a drive-through world. And people want a drive-through church. Don't be surprised if we soon find people starting drive-through churches. One window, one song. Second window, you give the offering. Third one, they'll give you a promise word. Off you go. Sunday done. The last one, cup of coffee. <laughs> it's so consumer, you know, consumerism has coming into church, has already come into church because it's coming into our minds. What can I get? What can I get? What can I get? And, and church is not about what I can get, but it's about what I can give from what already has been given to me. Which means that God is looking at how faithful we are or how much our faith is arising through the storm while He's still faithful over our life. God gave because He's a faithful God. God created us knowing that we will mess up but still He did not change that idea. You've got to think about this. When you know that somebody's going to mess it up for you, everything in you says, stop. Right? Okay, this is a bad move. We're not going to do it. We already have three children. Fourth one, mm-mm. I have a great financial plan and it's going to mess up everything. My Excel sheet is going to look all red. Let's not have another child. We measure, we plan. We calculate. But God, I'm sure, He measured us because even before you formed in your mother's womb, He's an all-knowing God, all-powerful God. 
Nothing can escape his conscience, his mind. And we were created in his mind, so we came out as life through his word. Even though he knew it, he still gave you a choice to choose him because he created you. Otherwise, he could have created us like a robot. I will praise you at all times. But he did not want that. He wanted you to choose him over and over and over again, and he delights in that. He delights in that. He'll send you a storm, and he's watching, but if you will choose him, he's like, that's my boy. He will send you things across your way to test your faith. And he knows you can handle it. And at the end he'll say, yeah, I know, I, I know you doubted, but that's my goal. You came back to me. I know you had other choices, but you still at the end called out to me. That's all I want to see because that's my child. That's my child. And God allows that. You see, God so loved the world that he gave that giving was selfless. Two things you need to understand about that word he gave, the reality of gave. Number one is, this was a direct giving. Let me, let me make this clear. If you have received Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, it did not come from a bank. It did not come from any man-made ideas. It did not come as a second-hand thing. This was a direct Giving from heaven. The only gift that came directly from heaven, which did not belong to this world in any shape or form, there is no human influence. Nobody can claim that they created Jesus. Nobody can claim that it was their idea or this. This is a direct giving from heaven. If you're praying for heaven on earth, if you're praying for something to fall from heaven, it's already in you. His name is Jesus. He gave his only son. His name is Jesus. It's a direct giving. Number two is, he did not just come to earth to just see what we are like and then judge us. And then maybe decide if he wants to save us. <laughs> he did not come with that mindset. When he came, he came to die. We were all born and we know that we will die because of our sinful nature and death is evident for us. But in the case of the Son of God, He doesn't have to die because He is the existing God. There's no birth and no death for Him. He's God. He's God. But yet He chose to come into our realm, our laws of, of science and physics that we talk. He stepped into our time and space, put Himself into it, took on the law of the earth, came into a mortal body that will die. So he was born knowing that he's going to die and not just a natural death. He was born to be murdered in the hands of the people that he knew was going to do it. 
So this giving, it's a gift for us, but it's a sacrifice from heaven. Many parents, and I say it with great respect and love, you know, many parents, I mean, if you're children, you would have heard this and seen this. Some things they really like to highlight a lot. Like, oh. I did this for you, I did, you know why is that? Because there's a story behind that. It's not because they want to boast about themselves, because there has been some sacrificial nights of work, some things that they have, ge- they have given up for the children so that, so that the children can have it. And, and it's, a, it's a natural human tendency to to, to, to do that, especially as parents. And if we as parents can do that for our own children, the Heavenly Father, how much more did He did for us? And, and He did not use a word, I gave sacrifice, for God so loved you, He gave sacrifice. He did not say any of that, I gave. And there is so much truth in that. It's a direct gift from heaven, and it's a sacrifice. This giving is a sacrifice. If you look at verse 16, uh, same John 3, says, God sending his son into the world was a mission. You see in John uh, 10, verse 17 to 18, you see the climax of that mission written down there. It says, the father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrificed it voluntarily, which means that nobody can claim that they killed Jesus. How can you claim that you killed Jesus when he said, I give my life? It's a sacrifice. For I have the authority because nobody can take his life away. Only he has the authority for life and for death. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to. And I also to take it up again. For this is what for my what my father has commanded which means that God wanted to die for you because he loved you so much he wanted to go through the cross so that you and I can have eternal life he wanted to go through the pain so that you and I will always remember his love his sacrifice there is nothing greater than God's love there's nothing greater than that. So when you look at John 3.16, you just need to understand this. The greatest gift in your life is Jesus. This gift was not designed in California and made in China. You know what I'm talking about? You can have your iPhones as a gift for Christmas. But it cannot match the gift of Jesus in your life. This was designed in heaven, made in heaven, came from heaven, but to stay with you here on earth until he comes back. Until he comes back. Whatever you know about God, just make sure you know this truth. That he is a God who loves you the most. Million times. More and more and more. And he always loves you. 
And the reason I'm so confident about this is because he did not just demonstrated this to us by going on the cross. This has always been part of his plan since the time we gave up on God. Since the time we chose sin over God. You know, uh, many, many uh, Christians and non-Christians, when they read about the story of Abraham, and why should Abraham be blessed so much? Why would God choose Abraham to be the father of the nations, father of faith? You know, millions and millions of people are going to come after you, Abraham. And God gives that promise to him. And, and he's known as the father of faith because God tested his faith. God gave him a, pros, uh, you know, a promise saying that, I will give you Isaac. But God also gave him Sarai, Sarah. She also received the word along with Abraham, but, but she had her own plans and she wanted to take things under the matter under her control and she couldn't wait. So Ishmael was born. We all know the story. But just because Ishmael was born, God did not stop there. He said, I forgive you, but my promise remains. How many of you have experienced that when you have mis- messed up, but then you realize that you messed up and you go back to God and He comes back to you and says, it's okay, darling, I know you messed up, but my plan for you still remains the same. And sometimes you wish your mom and dad said that, hey. <laughs> when you mess up, they're like, plans are changing. <laughs> you reap what you sow. God's grace, even I'm like that as a parent. But, but God's grace surpasses law, even during the time of law. And he demonstrated grace. And he said, my promise remains, Abraham. My promise remains. And he gave him Isaac. And then everybody thought like, wow, Abraham got Isaac. It's done. It's a done deal. Now all Abraham needs to do is enjoy life. Send Isaac to a great school, bring him up. Maybe one day he might become a preacher, a missionary. You know, something that he will do for the Lord. Things were going fine. Abraham was having a great time with his son. In the back of his head, he's also worried a little bit about Ishmael. But then he took Ishmael to God already. Even though Ishmael was, a, was, was his mistake, he was aware that he cannot survive or Ishmael cannot survive without God's blessing. So he brings Ishmael to God and God says, I will bless him too. And they are blessed. But, but Abraham's walk, life, everything is focused on Isaac. So one morning, as every day, Abraham and Isaac goes for a walk. They always go and, and sacrifice you know, a lamb, they pray, they worship. So one day God said to Abraham, Hey Abraham, you're going to worship me today. But this time it's going to be a little different. Just a little different. This time it's not going to be uh, your comfortable drive through Christian couch sofa experience. I'm just going to get you a little uncomfortable. 
Oh, just a little uncomfortable. That's okay, God, I'm sure I can handle it. Okay, here it goes. I'm going to tell you. This time, you're going to sacrifice your son for me instead of a sheep. Instead of a lamb, it's going to be your son. God, I thought you said little different. <laughs> Everybody wants to do missions, but God puts something totally out of place into your life and He says, Go. And you want to run the opposite direction. Understandable. Understandable. If I was Abraham and my pretty boy, Isaac, I've spent a long time with him. He's my love. After my wife, I want to make that clear. This is not Pastor Sam talking, by the way. This is Abraham. Don't judge me. Get into the character, people. And Abraham is like, Isaac, we have a little bit of problem. But this is his mind voice. I want to tell you everything that's about to happen, but I can't tell you. Anyway, Isaac, we're going for a coffee. And they just walk. Isaac knows that this is the time that we worship God together. So Isaac is like, Daddy, you have the wood. Where's the lamb? And Abraham's mind voice like, I'm looking at it. You are my lamb, my boy. But I just can't tell you that. But Abraham said, the Lord will provide. Because he tasted his goodness once. In the midst of his failure, Ishmael, he experienced an Isaac. And Abraham knew, if God wants this Isaac, he must have something greater. He knows it all. Oftentimes we feel this way, that the thing that you most prayed for God gave it, and after he gave it, it feels like he's drawing it back to him. And you feel like, I was about to have it, it's gone. But that's a good thing, because it's a test of faith. So they're taking a walk, and he's thinking, my dad has a plan. But the dad is thinking, my God has a plan. When you walk in life, you will have a lot of plans, but that's why the Bible says, his purpose will prevail. Don't make any promise to anyone saying that, I got it all worked out. The moment God hears that, really? How exciting. Let me mess that up. You got to know that God has a plan. He gives and he takes it away. But all glory to him. That's what we saw in John 
chapter 10. I have the authority to give and I have the authority to take. Maybe there is something that you have lost in your life. And if God took that, it's okay. Because he has the authority to give. He has the authority to take. And if it's a gift, and if he took it back, it's a gift back to him. Whatever that you have given back to the Lord for his name and for his glory is a seed that you have sown in the kingdom of God and you will flourish. You will not be put down. You will flourish because the promise remains. So they take a walk. They come to the altar. The wood is laid down and now the daddy looks at Isaac, Isaac, you look a little bit tired, boy. Do you want to lie down a little bit? Oh Say no. Because he now knows there's a wood, there's no lamb. Where is this going? And Abraham says, lay down. Come on, lay down. He says, lay down. I don't want this for you, son. I don't want this for your life. But lay down. And this is not something what the father would ever want to see in his eyes. I don't know what... God used to test your faith. Maybe something really, really close to you had to be taken away. Maybe you still feel the pain. Maybe you still know the pain. But in this altar, what Abraham has laid down is not his he actually laid down what belonged to God in the first place, Isaac. He's laying down his faith. Isaac is a representation of Abraham's relationship with God. Isaac was a living promise, a living word of God's faithfulness and God's fulfillment right in front of his eyes. And God wants to know even if I take back what I gave for you, will you still love me? Will you still love me? And Abraham was ready. He was trusting God. He knows everything that God has promised. And Isaac was like, I have no idea why my stupid dad is doing this. But he is staying still. And, and dad is like, son, you know, you know I gave you that red thing saying that it was a toy. It's just not a toy, buddy. Let me have that. It's a Swiss knife. Nice and shiny. 
No father would ever want to do this. Holding a weapon against his own blood and flesh. And many people when they read this passage, they think that what kind of God asks such a sacrifice? Now bring, fast forward this whole scenario to 21st century. Human rights organization, this is the material for them. They can't understand this, but this, this is murder, right? And, you didn't sleep last night. I'll come back to you. And, and if you look at verse 12 and 13 in Genesis 22, and Abraham, you know, he picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. From where? A direct voice from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham, verse 12, don't you dare lay a hand on the boy. Don't you dare lay a hand on your son. And Abraham is like, uh, I don't want to, but you got me here. I really did not want to be in this position, but you got me here. And God saw like this man could do anything for him. And he said, don't lay your hand on that boy. And God said, there is a lamb that is ready to be slain. And Abraham found a lamb there. And he took the lamb and he sacrificed. The most powerful thing about this story is this story has got nothing to do with Abraham or Isaac. Because as we read it, on the obvious note, it seems that Abraham's faith is so great. But any human mind cannot pull himself together to come to this point unless they are led by the Holy Spirit. So for Abraham to do this, he must have been filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit to bring his own son to lay at the altar to sacrifice. But he illustrated in the Old Testament, even before he was about to build nations and generations through which David was going to come, through which Jesus was going to be born, through which the church was going to be built, through which King City Church was going to be planted. In the Old Testament, in Genesis, in chapter 22, he already illustrated what was going to happen in John 3.16. This was about God the Father and God the Son. 
And he said, Abraham, this is what I'm about to do. I want you to know as the father of the nations what my plan is. Take your son and go home. You can go home. He took him away from the altar. And God said, one day, this is what I'm going to do. And he had a conversation with Jesus. He said, my son, I'm going to send you into that world. The devil has put that thought in their mind that they're all enemies of God, but they are my children. Because of sin, they think that they have turned against me, which they have. But my children are my, not my enemies, they are my children. So I'm going to send you into them, into the perishing world. Can you please go and die for them? And probably Jesus would be like, ah, the whole Isaac thing, we're doing that again? And God was like, yeah, but this time for real. And this time, because last time, Isaac did not call out to his father, my father, my father, into your hands I give my spirit. Isaac was trembling. But the son of man, the son of God, he said, my father, my father, on that cross, he said, into your hands I give my spirit. He laid on that wood. He hung on that cross. Knowing what the purpose of the Father was. That's the power of Christmas. That's the power of Christmas. That's the power of God's goodness. That's the power of God's greatness. That's the gift He gave. That's what He gave. That giving was planned long time ago. And He did it for you and me. So whatever that you have given up in life for the sake of Jesus, or whatever that God allowed to test your faith, there's nothing greater than what he has already done for you. Do it gladly, even though it's painful, because there's something greater that's in store. It's just right around the corner. You might not be able to see it. Here's the crazy part. The same mount, what, what's the name of the mount that was in Moriah? Mount Moriah? And, and, and you look at the map, is the same district of Golgotha, same mountains. Scholars say that it was either the same mountain or the same range of mountains. Calvary, Golgotha, and the Mount of Moria was all within the same vicinity. The same place where God demonstrated what he was about to do, he did it physically in the same location as well. An earthly father, greater is the heavenly father who is much more faithful than Abraham. And that is why God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, 
God of three generations. And he already planned it with Abraham and Isaac that everything that you have acquired generationally, I will break it at the, at the cross. Generational unfaithfulness will be replaced by the blood of Jesus. You look at the story of Isaac, messed up many times. You look at the story of Jacob, he was not even supposed to be in the lineage. God replaced it. And let me tell you something, the gift that he gave for you, it has broken your generational sins, your generational curses, your generational bondage. And when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you received this gift which is unlimited, unperishing, and it changed the bloodstream into your entire generation that is about to be coming in, in your family, in your life. And he changed the trajectory of the future. Everything that the enemy planned for you, for your children and for your children's children is broken in the name of Jesus because of what he did on the cross. Live in the breakthrough. Don't let your, the devil trap your mind that you are still cursed. No, you're not. Because he removed that with the promise in Isaac. He also removed on the cross the blood of Jesus, the name of Jesus that you have received. In the name of Jesus, by his stripes, you are healed. Everything that is generational, because from Adam, from Adam to Eve, from Adam and Eve, we received the original sin, was generational sin. And when the bloodstream changed, the blood time changed, you know, the whole transfusion happened on the cross. Your DNA is fresh. He broke that. Which means that everything that the enemy had planned for you and your generation, when you called on the name Jesus, believing and having faith in God, John 3.16, when you called on the name and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your address changed. Your future changed. And your life right now is absolutely changed. So whatever that the devil is planned is going to the old address. It's going to the old Sam. But I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. His address, his postman is taking to the old Sam. But the old Sam does not exist anymore. The old Getty does not exist anymore. The old Rachel, the old Jemmy, the old Hosanna, the old Prema... They don't exist anymore because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus and you are bought by the blood of Jesus. So whatever that he planned is getting delivered to the old address and you don't live there anymore. But we kind of worry about our mind is trapped while we are still in new creation, living as a new being. Living in the new promise, living in the new covenant. Why are you worried about the old house? There's nobody there. It's empty. There'll be no reaction. The new one, thriving, praising, worshipping, living in freedom, knowing God has an absolute control. 
ready for new blessings, ready for divine provision, ready for divine breakthrough, ready for greater anointing, ready for a greater harvest like never before. God changed your address. Thank you for listening to our sermon today. Hope it was a blessing for you as well as your family. If you would like to support our ministry, you can do so by visiting kingcitychurch.org forward slash give. And we will meet you next week with another inspiring sermon. God bless you.